0: and Scholars. You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Thanks for tuning in. Sluts and Scholars is a sex positive, shame-free educational podcast where we try to help you talk smart and fuck smarter. While we love to give advice and resources, please note that this podcast or any emails from us are not intended to be therapy or a replacement for therapy. Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars, where we talk smart and fuck smarter. I'm Nicoletta, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and sexologist. And this week, I'm welcoming Tatiana King. She is a sex educator and blogger for Blex App, and she's originally from Durham, North Carolina, and graduated from UNC Greensboro with two bachelor's degrees in psychology and Spanish. What a scholar. She is currently a graduate student at Widener University, which is where I'm doing my doctoral program, and she's studying social work, and human sexuality. During her free time, she volunteers as an educational presenter for the Center for Positive Sexuality, travels throughout the world to speak at sexuality conferences, and hosts in-home lingerie parties, uh, which I want to know more about. Her focus is on sexuality education, including, which it should always include, female pleasure, kink, and alternative sexualities. Welcome.
1: Thank you. I'm really excited to be on this podcast today because I am a huge fan. Thank you. It's, it's so nice to hear, and I so, so
0: appreciate it. And it never gets old. So thank you for being <laughs> Um So, firstly, we are interviewing this. Let's see. Today is uh, June 6th. So, this may come out later. But, um, how are you holding up with everything going on? This has been quite a fucking
1: week. Oh, yeah. Everything has been very. Have a lot of mixed emotions about it. On one front, I am angry, but I partially want to hold myself back because I don't want to come off as the "quote unquote" angry black woman. And then another part of me is just sad about all the dissension and discord that's going around with people, and all the conversations can be pretty tiring. But in a way, it also makes me feel more empowered to speak up about issues that are related to my community. And just be a voice and use my platform to really let people know about what's going on and the fact that the murder of George Floyd is not an isolated incident. There are a lot of layers that go into this conversation due to systematic racism and prejudice and all kinds of scenarios that go behind this. So my mind is in a lot of completely different places right now, but thank you for asking. I mean that's that's for
0: sure, and I, I like what you said about the community aspect of it because part of why I wanted to have you on the podcast today is to talk about a, a community that you're helping with, which is the Blex app. Um, so, what what is the Blex app, and what what does it do, and how does
1: it create community? The Blex app is devoted to strengthening melanated sex, intimacy, and relationships. And just to clarify, this is
0: kind of a, a newer word I've been hearing amidst the, you know, George Floyd murder. Um, what does melanated mean?
1: Basically pertaining to, well, in this sense for Blacks, it's pertaining to the Black community. But some other people may use melanated as in people of color as well. So um, basically non-white voices. But so people who have like, been silenced or... Mm -hmm. more pertaining to marginalized communities. And um, WhatsApp also promotes a sense of community among the black community because many times intersections of race and sexuality are excluded in the average, average conversation of human sexuality. So that's in a way there to foster a sense of community because we don't get these conversations in our sex ed. Hell, a lot of people don't even get sex ed to begin with. So that's part of why this app has been created. So what does the app do? What
0: can someone expect if they're joining?
1: Well, there are two specific features that I definitely want to pinpoint today. There's one in which I come in. When people download the BLEX app, they can be paired with coaches in a secure and private chat room to discuss anything related to sex and relationships. And there's also another feature where There is more of the community aspect where there are blog posts and chat rooms where you can chat with other people who have downloaded the BLEX app and really just have conversations about anything that's on your mind pertaining to sex, intimacy, even mental health. And with the blog posts that go along with it, there are a lot of different topics that you can read from and even gain knowledge on or relate to. What do you think are
0: some of the barriers getting in the way for folks to like use this service? Because talking to a stranger about sex stuff can be like daunting or vulnerable or scary. And then if you maybe add the intersection of being black, I wonder how that potentially gets in the way of, of using this.
1: Well, for me specifically, I've been raised in more of a, conservative and very religious upbringing with the schools I've gone to and the churches that I used to go to. So a lot of other black people who have kind of grown up in that particular situation, they also may feel a stigma about bringing forth and enhancing and expressing their sexuality, because there are so many things that relate to our sexuality, such as stereotypes in the past that have been brought up through our culture. I mean, if you take things back to slavery, um, many Africans were looked on upon as what's the word, hypersexualized, and yeah, sexualized for their embracing of nudity in their culture, and even if you think about. I don't know, segregation and Jim Crow laws and around that era, a lot of things that were taken away from us were our bodies. Like when they had public lynchings in public communities where black bodies were hung from trees and people would just watch and take pictures to put in their postcards. Like our bodies were dehumanized and we were not looked at as humans. So I think a lot of that aspect is that we... We have a hard time maybe embracing our bodies in an empowering state because of all of the history that goes behind it. And if you add in religion as well, being grown up in those kind of settings, it can also be a very stigmatized um, idea.
0: Yeah, I think what you were talking about, the historical thing, and tell me how this resonates with you, and obviously I know you can't speak for the entire Black community, but for you personally, Something historically that I think has stood out is just like the hypersexualization of of black people to the point where it's like, oh, they're they're either a predator or they're unrapeable, depending on gender, um, and mm-hmm. how that's maybe impacted, maybe a pushback for black folks not wanting to be like overtly sexual because of this um, racist narrative.
1: Oh yeah, they're actually, I'm glad you brought this up because there are two specific names for that. Um, more so pertaining to black women, but one is called the Jezebel stereotype and it's the oversexualization of black women creating more focus on our quote unquote voluptuous bodies and bringing attention to our ex- quote unquote exotic features. Mm-hmm. And there's another stereotype called the mammy stereotype and it's with more so a woman who is not interested in sex as much and more of a mother figure and not really there to be sexualized. Just so you're more so there is almost like a mother figure or a maid and put in those particular um, settings, I guess, or those ideologies. So in like
0: Sluts and Scholars terminology, it would be like you can't be a Jezebel and a Mamie.
1: Oh, Yeah. That is usually how people see it. Um, That even goes with the Madonna. It's like a Madonna whore complex. Yes. Even in the black community, we have like a specialized name for those things. But it also goes into that uh, that dichotomy because people think you can either be sexual or you're not sexual in a
0: way. And so when people reach out to the BLEX app, so one option is they can do uh, counseling type coaching services uh, with someone like yourself. What what else is available?
1: This is mostly via text because we want to make sure that people can have easier access to the coaches because sometimes when you're working things out through video, you need to set up an appointment and have like a good time. But through text, it's just easier for people to have more so... um, Fast access, which is kind of good because usually in therapy, it's a lot less accessible, it's more expensive, and then you have to create your times and scheduling. But with this, through a texting service, it's just easier for people to get the advice that they need and make sure it's more of a one on one communication. And it makes you feel more personal or closer to the person you're chatting with.
0: So if you sign up and you have a question, what I if I send a text, would I get you every time? Or would it be like whoever's available?
1: Well, what happens is people who download the Blex app, they fill out an assortment of questions, and then they're paired with a specific coach. So if you get paired with me, it'll mostly be me unless I yeah, I don't know what happens after that. I'm pretty sure it's just one coach, unless there's anything that goes on in which you want a new coach. But we do our best to pair people up with one specific coach that fits their needs.
0: Well, it sounds like it's new and still growing. And obviously, I don't want you to go past any confidentiality things. But in general, what kind of
1: themes have you seen folks reaching out for? Definitely how to maintain relationships during the pandemic. It has been a lot harder for singles to really have that interpersonal relationship with other people while they're stuck in their house, because a lot of times we've been focusing on couples, married couples, or people who have been together for a long time. But when you think about the singles who are actively dating, but not in a relationship, It's very hard for them if they especially like being out and going to bars, meeting new people. So that is definitely one of the main themes that I've been seeing so far. What do you
0: say to folks like that? Because that is a struggle. A lot of people I've talked to said that the online stuff is more just like pen pal or like sexting. And some people do like online video dates. But I think obviously some states are starting to open up. But I imagine people are, a lot of people are being cautious.
1: Oh, yeah. Usually what I say to them is, well, for one, if you haven't gotten more comfortable and familiar with your own body and your own pleasure, definitely seek out mindful masturbation and figure out what works for you because sex doesn't begin and end with another person. It can even be a relationship with you and your own body. So just take the time to explore your body just for the purpose of exploration. You don't have to think, okay, I have to orgasm now. Let me get this over with. Let me put on my favorite porn. Like literally just be in your room, start touching your body and feel what is great for you. And another thing that I've suggested was find dating apps that don't necessarily promote only hookup culture, but also foster a sense of community. For example, there's one called Hashtag Open. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's a very inclusive app and it has... I think over 24 genders and multiple orientations that you, can, um, that you can put on your profile. And it also tailors to different relationship styles as well. And aside from the dating aspect, it really is a genuine community. They, they have web- webinars every week about different topics related to human sexuality. And I mean, if there are people who like me don't, really get into the hookup part really fast and you want to get to know someone, that is another option as well because people can literally put, I'm looking for friendship and that is totally fine.
0: I mean, I hope that people respect that because I've definitely seen on other things like not looking for anything, blah, blah, blah. And then still, you know, people like to push boundaries.
1: Oh yeah, you'll literally say something like, I'm not really looking for anything. And then all of a sudden you see an unsolicited dick pic in your, in your messages. And you're like, what in the world did I just say? I'm not this right now. Well,
0: hopefully, hopefully it's weeding out some of those folks just by virtue of being a little bit more open. But then I don't know, sometimes it's tough because when for myself, at least because I'm more open talking about sex, um, a lot of people think that that's like an invitation for, uh, non-consensual, whatever.
1: Yes, I can relate to that a lot because ever since I was a young child, I've been a pretty sexually precocious person. So I've had like a heightened awareness of who I am as a sexual being, even though I wasn't necessarily interested in having sex at a very young child. However, even as I grew up and I was very vocal about sexual issues, people would still kind of place labels on me saying, oh, she's fast or, oh, you know, she's down to fuck and all that kind of stuff. Even before I was even getting into that phase of my sexual debut, which is what I basically call losing my virginity, but I don't like that phrase. So you'll probably (laughs) agree. Yeah, you'll hear me say that phrase a lot more than the other phrase that I don't like. But yeah, when you talk about sex publicly, people do have that assumption that, that's what you want and that's fine if people want to have sex and all the time with different people whatever that is totally okay but i don't like the assumption that just because people talk about sex openly that means that they're down for whatever and you don't have to practice consent because they just want it from whoever and whatever Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love the sexual
0: debut as opposed to I mean virginity is something I've talked about a lot on the podcast and um, definitely go back and listen to some episodes about that if you're just tuning in for the first time um, and going back to some of the other things that you've been talking to to clients about on this app so one is single and COVID um, what if someone has never explored their
1: body before? Ooh, that is a good one because I get that a lot too. There are people who are a lot older who have live- heard a lot of negative things about masturbation and people who have more so been, cur- been encouraged not to practice it. So usually what I tell those people is to really increase as much knowledge as you can about your body. Look up definitions, especially looking up the clitoris and figuring out how it works A lot of people are under the assumption that the clitoris is just a nub when in general it actually is an internal structure that goes along in the vagina and a little bit outside of it. So really increase your knowledge about certain anatomy and start with there when you hear about, well, I'll take the clitoris for example again. The only function of the clitoris is for pleasure. It literally serves no other purpose except for that. So definitely knowing if someone were to look that up, knowing what they know at that point, then they would pay attention to that spot and they could either go with rubbing. I mean, a lot of people when they're young, they literally hump teddy bears and that's their masturbation practice. Yeah, whatever you can find. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then when they're older and then they see things on TV with other people and their vibrators and masturbating a certain way, then they think that that's how they're supposed to do it. And then they kind of lose sight on the pleasure aspect and what really works for them. And I can speak on that to myself because a lot of times in TV, you'll see someone fingering themselves and I'm thinking, okay, that's definitely not how I masturbate. (laughs) So just don't go by what you think you're supposed to do and literally just figure it out by exploring anything.
0: And for folks who maybe want to see what that can look like, um, there's a resource that I really like, OMG yes, um which is a, a website where you yeah, you can watch how different people self-pleasure of all different body types and colors and shapes and sizes and whatever, and just like watch what people do just to maybe get some ideas. But to me, even before that, based on what we were talking about earlier, it seems like it's even about accepting that you have a body that is pleasure-able, meaning, like, if you exist in a culture where you feel like your body and yourself has no rights or is not seen as good in any way, shape, or form, it's hard to be like, oh, I deserve to get this sexual pleasure. Definitely. I really like that. I Yeah, I think... Um, that's something that Afro sexology talks a lot about that I, that I, that I really agree with. And, um, what are some other things that, that you think you've uh, been encountering on the BLEX app?
1: Through the BLEX app, I talked about singles before and on the other end, there are couples who are wondering how to navigate their relationship without tearing each other's heads off because, I don't care how much you love someone. If you spend so much time with them day after day, hours after hours, there is a potential that you can get annoyed with them and just completely grossed out by their presence. I know how I am. I'm one of the most extroverted people in the world, but I do like my space to be alone, to work, to be Zen. So I suggest that people do something different. They, Go to a different section in the room and take care of their work or instead of eating together, because some people do like to gather together to eat, maybe even take time to eat separately, take time to go for a walk separately, just do some activities separate and then come together at certain parts of the day. Just don't feel pressured to be up under each other 24-7 just because you're in the same house. It's okay to be separated sometimes. I know that there's been talks of, like, sexual wellness during the pandemic, but as some
0: cities and states are beginning to open, I wonder what we should keep in mind for, like, sexual wellness now that people have been, like, locked up for so long.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. I think that during this pandemic, people have had more conversations about keeping their health in check, and I do appreciate that because... I don't know about you personally, but in my friend group and the people I know, a lot of people don't use condoms. A lot of people are not safe with their sex. And I guess it's different if you've been in a long-term relationship and you know the rules, you know the boundaries, or you're trying to have a baby. That's one thing. But in a lot of cases, it is crucial to keep your sexual health in check. So I think as things start to reopen, I definitely encourage people to go to the doctor and get their checkup, get tested for STIs, and Mm -hmm. also just keep in mind that even though we've had these conversations and started to, I don't know, maybe even stray from keeping our sexual health in check, it should always be at the forefront of your health. Don't necessarily think of your sexual health as something on the bottom of the totem pole. It your sexual health is just in just as important as your physical health, your mental health, spiritual health, all of it. Which is tough because that's not what
0: insurance or other areas of culture tell us. <laughs> oh, I know. It's, you know. It's it's fuck that. Listen to Tatiana. <laughs> um, exactly right. But I wonder if like everything that's been going on with the pandemic can be a starting point because now we've all kind of had to get used to using a barrier like a mask um, or glasses or goggles or whatever and um, using communication to talk with other people about those boundaries. So when you're maybe doing social distancing, you're like, well, here's what I'm comfortable with. Like, oh, I don't want to come over, but can we do a walk? And so to me, these are all skills that can be reflected In sex conversations. And if you've been practicing social distancing, like you're already
1: you've already done it, you've already practiced it. Right. I like how you brought that up because creating boundaries and expressing consent can easily be part of a regular conversation. I know it's gotten a bad rep for being cringy and robotic, but literally all it takes is saying, I'm not sure if I want to do that, but we can do this instead. Or Even take sexting, for example, that's been quite popular amid this pandemic. You can even start it out by saying, hey, I had a sexy dream about you last night. Do you want to hear what happened? Or something along those lines. It can easily be just a regular conversation with a friend, a sexual partner, or a lifetime partner.
0: And coming back to Blex for a second, I think... Why do you feel like it's super important to have Black people hearing from other Black people as opposed to, like, if I were, like, I'm not gonna be hired for
1: Blacks. Mostly I shouldn't be hired for Blacks, <laughs> oh, right? <laughs> Mostly because many therapists I know of, or many famous therapists, are the typical white, cisgender, straight demographic. And I like how the BLEX app really dedicates itself to strengthening voices of our community. Because for one, therapy in our community is a very stigmatized thing. I remember when I was in middle school, I told a of an adult figure that's very near and dear to my heart. So no shade to them if they happen to be listening to this when it comes out. You left it it very vague. Right. (laughs) So when I told them that I was feeling very depressed in middle school, they literally looked at me and said, wow, that's really not okay. Depression is of the devil. And I'm looking at them like depression is of the devil. Oh, wow. That's that's really scary and then I started going crazy in my mind. I'm like, "Oh, I have like a demon inside of my head. What in the world is wrong with me?" That's traumatic. Oh yeah, it was for sure. And
0: what do you think I, their like, hope was oh, in telling you that? Like, let's say let's say in their belief it really is of the devil. What are you supposed to do with that? Do you just pray? Do you go to church more? Like what's the what do you do about it?
1: Well, I definitely prayed mostly because with me my religion is more of a personal thing. It's not. I'm not one of those Christians who's going to tell you you have to go to church, you have to abide by certain laws. I'll straight up tell you that my belief in God is very personal. So I suggest you do what you feel convicted to do. And I felt convicted to not only pray, but to really look through resources that'll help me because prayer is one thing, but actions are another actions and knowledge and resources is really going to get me the help that I need. So that's what I would tell someone if they were in my position, because a lot of people, especially in the black community have a misconstrued view on mental health. And a lot of us doubt that it even exists when mental health isn't the best. A lot of us kind of dismiss depression and anxiety, mostly because a lot of us are viewed as the strong figures, especially Black Mm -hmm. women. We're there to save the day. We're the strong ones. Mm -hmm. So when our mental health is not where it needs to be, sometimes we can look down on ourselves. So there, yeah, there are a lot of layers to that question.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask, what are some other reasons either for yourself or from people you've worked with in terms of like why there is a stigma around mental health in different Black communities?
1: I think in addition to the regular stigma people people may see it as a reflection of their families because family is a pretty strong value in black communities or at least mm-hmm. in what I've seen growing up or in my family it's been very strong so part so if of the we're talking about how something impacted you it's like talking shit on your family which is no good Right. Especially when you're close with your family or you live in a community where everyone knows everyone, you don't want to speak out because you don't want to throw shade on your family and you don't want it to be a reflection of them and you don't want people to gossip and say, oh, that's just bad parenting. Or sometimes I'll even hear, oh, that's white people shit. The whole mental health slash depression and anxiety. people the wellness it. industry. Exactly. They attribute that to a white thing. And with black people, it just goes out the door. People don't really talk about the added stress of daily life, but even more stress with racism and prejudice and socioeconomic status and systematic issues. So there's a lot to it. So how did you get from a place of
0: thinking that you had a, like a, a demon impacting your mood to a place of like, I'm going to go study human sexuality?
1: Ooh, that's a good question. It was mostly my dad who encouraged me to really pursue this field. Um, when I was younger, I did feel a lot of shame surrounded my I mean about my interest in human sexuality. And I thought it was kind of odd that I'd even want to learn about this, knowing that I didn't want to have sex, yet I was so interested in the topic and interested in people's bodies. So Part of it was a lot of internal work that I had to do. I really found it in myself to have confidence about speaking what I was interested in. But my dad specifically, his whole blessing, I guess to say, of just encouraging me to pursue what I wanted to really helped out a lot. Both of them, I mean, they've been my biggest support system. So once I got the okay from them and them saying, go for it, oh, you couldn't tell me shit after that. I was blogging. I was doing everything I could to put out positive information about sexuality, and then I just went from there. Well, a little bit
0: of like a switch to a different topic in terms of your blogging. As I was, um, you know hopefully consensually stalking you on the internet in preparation for this for this interview um i came across a a recent presentation that you did for the alt sex conference in new york which if you aren't familiar with it you should check it out i think it just happened online um but i I believe it's annual um but your presentation was about demisexuality um what is that
1: demisexuality is Well, some people may describe it as an orientation. Some may describe it as a way that people express their sexual desire. But it's basically when someone experiences a secondary sexual attraction. So usually people will experience a primary sexual attraction where they look at people's appearance and aesthetics. And then they make the conclusion that they think someone is attractive. Whereas demisexuals, it takes getting to know someone before they can even decide if they think someone is attractive or not.
0: Mm. And so is that, I mean, it sounds like some people view that as an orientation and I would agree. And for some people, it's more about like, oh, I just need to trust the person. Do you feel like there's a difference between like someone who's just um, maybe feeling nervous or dealing with trauma or needs to trust? Or would you like say that that's just being demisexual?
1: That could be part of it. Um, In my personal experience, the best way that I could describe it as some people can walk into a bar or just any type of setting. They see someone and they think, oh, wow, they're attractive. I could potentially be interested in them. But a demisexual looks at someone and there's really no initial sexual attraction there until after they've gotten to know them. So Mm. part of it can be some anxiety on other people's parts, but for the most part with many demisexuals, it's more so about getting to know the person and then all of a sudden the sexual attraction develops. So it's a little less about developing crushes and more about how the sexual attraction comes later.
0: And how do you urge people to like share that with someone they might be interested in getting to know? Cause I mean, maybe that feels foreign to potential partners.
1: Oh, I know it does because a lot <laughs> of times people are like, bitch, that's my life. Thanks. Right. <laughs> people have kind of dismissed it as being traditional and it's not even necessarily that I'm a traditional person. Cause I'm really not. It's more so that I just, like, just wait until uh, I, yeah. if I find myself attracted to you. We're going to do all sorts
0: of freaky shit.
1: <laughs> exactly. I just experience a very low sexual attraction. And that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm not a sexual person either. I am very sexual. I am really down for some freaky shit, but only after I've gotten to know you. So I do encourage people to be honest about how they express that sexual attraction and, try to create analogies or really in-depth descriptions and really go in-depth about it. Because a lot of people will say, oh, well, isn't that just everyone? You know, don't people normally just wait to have sex until they've gotten to know someone? But it's not about the conscious choice to or not to have sex. It's more so about your attraction, which is something you cannot control.
0: Mm. So instead of being I'm making this conscious decision that I would like to wait until I know I can trust you, you're like physically not having a desire response. Right, exactly. And so is there a time frame for, for you personally of like when you know? Is it person to person? Like how long into it, or how do you get to know
1: somebody to where you're you figure out if there's an attraction? It's usually person to person, but I think with most demisexuals it's after they've established a genuine connection, not even necessarily friendship. It could be, it could be maybe three to five months of knowing someone, but as long as that connection is established and you've gotten Mm -hmm. to really see someone's personality and know them for who they really are. For me personally, it's, it's a few months down the road for me. I mean, people, my friends would always nudge me and be like, you know, why don't you go for that person? What's wrong with you? Can't you see that they're attractive? Why, what's wrong? Are you not like into them? But with me, it's just, it takes a while for it to get there until I know who you are and mm-hmm. know if I even, I don't even. It's, it's such a hard thing to describe unless you know it to be true for yourself. But that's the best way I can describe it really just until you have that connection and you really know someone for who they are. Well, and like you said, it
0: doesn't mean that folks who are demisexual are not sexual. It's just, it, it looks different. Um, and for each demisexual person, I'm sure it can look different. And with that in mind, how do folks who are demisexual masturbate? Ooh, good question. Like, I'm. I guess I'm thinking like for me, fantasy is important with that. And I guess when I'm fantasizing, um, it may have emotional structures in it of things that I'm like getting excited by, but other times it's physical stuff. And so I'm curious if it impacts like self sexuality.
1: It might for some people. And it does with me, honestly, because when I masturbate, it's not really about the images I see whether it be mental or whether it be on a screen on my phone looking at porn, a lot of times it's auditory with me where I feel horny. So if I look at porn, I don't really care about what I'm watching as long as both people in the video are moaning. Mm -hmm. For me, it's very very much for what I hear. And I, I don't know if a lot of other people feel that way or if I'm just unique in that aspect, but a lot of it really is from, auditory stimuli. So that's that's a really interesting question.
0: Yeah, I, but I do I do wonder if the fantasies include more like emotional stuff where it's like I'm turned on because we're so connected <laughs> or like <laughs> you know I I do I mean that might be true for non-demisexual folks, but clearly there's still like physical desire. It sounds like at least for you that comes up without, you know, waiting or I guess you could say you've been in a relationship with yourself
1: for 20 something years, so like you're already there. <laughs> Oh yeah. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. I think that could be it because I've always felt pretty comfortable. So you're like, I know me and now I think I'm hot. Like it's cool. I felt pretty comfortable with my body for a long time. So maybe that could be it.
0: Is there any other things you want folks to know about demisexuals, like things that might be false or, um, resources or, you know, just, I think it's maybe the first time we've really talked about it on the podcast.
1: One thing I would like to stress is that it's not I mean, we kind of did go over this, but I just want to stress it even more so now that it's not that demisexuals are not interested in sex and it's not necessarily a thing that's normal for everyone. And hell, even if it is normal for everyone it's just terminology just because it it could be common for many people doesn't necessarily mean that we can't put a name or a label to it. And if people don't want to put a name or a label to it, that's fine as well. But yeah, it is very unique and personal for many people. But like I said before, it's not necessarily that we're not interested in sex or that we're traditional it's strictly about sexual attraction and how we experience that sexual attraction rather than sexual desire or any of that other stuff.
0: I could see that being difficult for some folks who aren't super confident with themselves or who struggle with, I don't know, some self-esteem things because they might be like, oh, well, if this person liked me enough, maybe I could convince them to be attracted to mm-hmm. me or convince them to be, you know, sexual with me. And if they don't have that, that it's hard not to take it personally. Mm-hmm. When in reality, it has nothing to do with them.
1: Right. Cause I, I have gotten that from people in the past of thinking, okay, does she not like me or do I just have to do more convincing? Do I have to show out a little more, go on more fancy dates or something? Like what, what's the holdup here? When in all actuality, it really had nothing to do with them. And it's not a cliche line that I'm saying, oh, you know, it's not you, it's me. But for real, it's not them. It literally is me. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, that is important to recognize.
0: And just like with the definition you used earlier of sexual debut, sex and sex play can obviously look super different. And so where does kink or BDSM practice fit in, at least for you as a demisexual, it sounds like? Um, Like, is that something that you could engage in first because it has to do with getting to know someone or does it require a sexual desire level?
1: It more so goes along with the first one. I actually, um, I have been to BDSM and kink clubs before and I've been able to jump into it, but mostly because.
0: Yeah, um, and
1: I've done kink stuff where I wasn't necessarily sexually attracted to the person because it was about so much more intimacy. Right. I think kink and BDSM is more so about, it's more so a lifestyle rather than a specific act. And a lot of people in the community, they will, or based on my personal experience anyway, will get to know each other a little bit beforehand. So it's not like, you know, I'm just in a club and then I'm you know jumping into it with a bunch of strangers. I mean, I do know also them. Also <laughs> fun. Oh yeah, that is totally fine. <laughs> Good to know safety protocol, but you know, whatever. Right. <laughs> but in my personal experience, it it actually has not been hard to go into those particular settings or do those acts because even like you said it is more than just a sexual experience. It is almost just a regular way of bonding with people, in my opinion. But it sounds like that could be sort of like an
0: indirectly sexual way to get one's needs met as you're developing a potential relationship and maybe not having more like direct sex.
1: True. That is a different way. Yeah, that is a good way of putting it because it's not, there's, there's not a lot of pressure when you're in those particular settings to me, even if you're just a beginner Or if you've been in these settings for years, I think everyone is pretty open-minded and willing to go at whichever pace that anyone's willing to go. And it doesn't even necessarily have to be the most kinky sex ever. It could just be impact play. Someone could be experimenting with whips or paddles, or people could be experimenting with wax play and just showing you how to use it. I mean, there's a lot that can go into that.
0: And for people don't, who don't know, impact play is kind of what it sounds like, but it involves impact. <laughs> so things, like, things you way. can hit somebody with, it doesn't necessarily yeah. have to be hard, but for some people it is. <laughs> right. Um, so, well, sadly, we have to start wrapping up soon. But before we do, um, I'm a super curious to know what these in-home lingerie parties are. And maybe that's not happening now because of social distancing stuff. But like, What is that? Is that kind of like the sex toy parties where you're like, here's this and you can buy it? Or like, is it just like everyone gets in their lingerie? Like, what is this?
1: (laughs) So it was junior year of my undergrad career at UNC Greensboro. And my roommates and I, we were really bored one weekend and we thought, hey, why don't we get a group of girls to come over and we can all just dress up in our lingerie? Because- That night, I remember it so vividly. It was me, my roommate, and one of her friends. And we were just gossiping, talking about guys. And then we figured out that all three of us talked to the same guy at the same time a few years back. And we had just been adding the dots and putting things together. And we're like, oh, wow, all three of us got played by that same dude. So then we said, why don't we just invite a bunch of girls, all of our friends over and We can have a self-care day. We can dress up in our lingerie, gossip about guys we've been with and just laugh at it all. So we created these parties and we would have uh, fruit, a lot of drinks and just really have a good time dressed up in our lingerie and doing what feels great for us, which was bonding with a bunch of other girls about past humiliating experiences with our dating lives so what has it turned into now now it's actually gotten well okay with the pandemic it literally has not happened and i mean i guess you could do lingerie parties over skype who knows about privacy laws but you know that is a pretty good idea i might actually consider that especially because i moved to pennsylvania so my friends i gotta make a lot of new friends now and figure out who to invite to these parties because my old friends they're all in north carolina now So lately, I haven't really been thinking about how to have it even with the pandemic, but it has grown because I remember the first lingerie party that we had, there were only like four girls who came and then the most recent one, which was actually not that recent, maybe like two years ago, there were about nearly 40 girls in our apartment and we were all just dressed up in our lingerie singing and acting a fool. And it was a great time. But I like that you said it was like initially like a self-care night and
0: including that like feeling yourself on an erotic level is also self-care.
1: Oh, definitely. People don't really get into how your erotic self really brings out the best part of you because people, people tend to separate sex and think of it as just an act in which a penis goes into a vagina when really It's so much more than that. You don't even have to just use a penis and vagina. There are so many other body parts you can include. Right, so many different holes you can include. (laughs) And even outside of that, there's just your sexual expression in general. When you feel like you've elevated yourself and you're free to express who you are as a sexual human being, that can do wonders for your mental health. Because there were so many years where I feel like I had to repress that And I just wasn't happy in who I was as a person because I feel like I wasn't being my true self until I finally started blogging about sex. And I was open about it and speaking about it publicly at different conferences and speaking about it with my friends. And now Shoot, I I feel like a boss ass bitch right now talking about all the things I talk about now. You are a boss ass bitch. Thank you. You are too. <laughs> well, thank you so much for, for
0: joining. Um, one last question I have before we wrap up, and this is more of maybe my own processing that I need to do in my own time that I don't want to necessarily put on you, but I think something I've seen at least in the last couple of weeks is like not putting Black folks in the seat of, like, you need to teach me and explain things to me. So I would be curious, like, how this was for you in terms of an interview, but also is there a way in your just individual opinion that you'd be willing to share in terms of how to uplift, uplift voices while not putting the onus on, like, oh, you're Black, tell me about Black stuff.
1: Thank you for asking that, because... And you also
0: don't have to answer because that might be saying what I'm saying, of like, it's not your job to teach me this, but I, I'm curious <laughs> if you're willing to, what your thoughts are.
1: Oh, no, it's totally okay. It's a great question, actually. I think people can amplify black voices by just doing what they normally do on a daily basis. I mean, you, there are so many mainstream resources in the public and they're very centered towards white people. And if you just, took the time to search up black owned businesses or black people in let's say the porn interest industry or black actors, black actresses even promote black authors who have written amazing books, like just go out of your way to search different resources that you're not really used to seeing. And that's one way that you can amplify black voices by promoting their work and not even just as a trend, because Even this past Tuesday with the whole Blackout Tuesday, and I even participated in just, I guess, partially because I felt pressured to and partially because I felt like I needed to. But, I mean, it was great seeing everyone post their black squares in solidarity toward the movement. However, I want to see people really show up and promote our work on a daily basis and not because it's the popular trend that many mainstream corporations and businesses are pandering to at the moment because they want their I don't know their woke cards so to speak right so I think a lot of part of amplifying our voices is just doing it I mean anytime you see someone who's black and you like their work and you like them just shout them out and help other people see what you see when you look (laughs) at black voices and black people Well, thanks for sharing your perspective on that.
0: And I want people to be able to follow the work that you're doing and shout you out. So um, how can people follow you and check out the BLEX app and and everything that you all are working on?
1: If you want to find me and stay up to date with my work, you can follow me on Instagram at Tati underscore K underscore King. That is T-A-T-Y underscore K underscore K-I-N-G. Tati underscore K underscore King.
0: Thanks, uh, Tatiana, so much for joining. And again, if you want to follow what I'm doing at Sluts and Scholars, you can find me on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, on Twitter at Slut Scholars, and pretty much available anywhere you get your podcasts. And if you have a moment, please rate and review so we can continue doing the show. Thanks so much.